This is Dr. Benny Tate, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this week's message at Rock Springs Church. Wherever you are, I hope that this message encourages you and helps you grow in your walk with God. Here's this week's message from Rock Springs Church. Can we do that? We're going to stand and take our iPad, iPhone, whatever we have. If we don't have any of that, we have the Bible right here on the screen. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter. Peter said to us, he said, be sober, be vigilant. What does that mean? It means be conscientious. It means to be watchful, uh, to be cautious. Because your adversary, the devil, that's what I want you to understand, folks. Your adversary is not the person beside you. It's not the guy at work. Your adversary is the devil. Your adversary is the devil. And uh, he's like a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. Folks, I want to talk to you about... If I were the devil, if I were the devil, it was Halloween night. It failed that year on a Wednesday night. And a little church, a little country church was having prayer meeting. And there was a man who decided he would do something. He decided he would dress up like the devil. I mean, he put on the red cape. He uh, got him a pitchfork. He put horns on his head. He painted his face black. I mean, he tried to look like the devil. And sure enough, he ran in the center aisle of that little church. And when he ran in the center aisle, there was a massive evacuation. People just ran out of there. Even the pastor ran out. Just a massive evacuation. But he noticed there was one man on the third row, and he didn't budge. And this guy walked up to him, and he said, Do you know who I am? He said, Yes, I know who you are. He said, I'm the devil. He said, I know you're the devil. He said, Everybody left but you. You're not scared. Why are you not scared? He said, I'm not scared of you because I've been married to your sister for 40 years. <laughs> now, you know what's interesting, folks? There are three places in the Bible, three places in the Bible where God says to us, don't you be ignorant. And that word seems like a harsh word, but it only means don't you be unlearned. Don't you be unlearned. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul was talking about those that have died. And he said, don't you think that's, that this is the end? Jesus is going to come back. And they're asleep, and they're going to wake up, and they're going to be with Jesus. He said, so don't you be ignorant concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. But he said, there's a second time I don't want you to be ignorant. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He said, no, no. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 1, he said, don't you be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Every child of God is gifted. And by the way, folks, you're gifted. You're gifted. And, and, and let me just say something. You say, well, Pastor Benny, you can preach and somebody else can, can sing. No, 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 no. There, the, it, it doesn't fluctuate like that. It doesn't fluctuate this is the superior gift and this is the lesser gift. We're all gifted children. And you're gifted. And God's gifted you to use your spiritual gift. You're, you're not less than in any way you just need to do what God created you to do. You say, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what my gift is. Uh, what do you do well with the least effort? That's your gift. 
Watch you do well with the least effort. That's your gift. Now, if uh, if you sing and uh, you sound like a dying duck in a hailstorm, that's not your gift. Amen? But anyway, so he said, don't you be ignorant concerning uh, spiritual gifts. But he said, then there's a third place. I, I don't want you to be ignorant. He said it right here in 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. He said, don't you be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't you be ignorant of Satan's strategy. Don't you be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Don't you be ignorant of what Satan's trying to do. You learn his strategies. You learn his ways. You learn his methods. You learn his patterns. Because, by the way, folks, you can go back and study, and eat, study Adam and Eve. He's using the same strategy. His strategy has not changed. And he said, don't you be ignorant of the strategy of the enemy. Now, here's the thought I want to talk to you about. If I were the devil, if I was the devil, what would I do? Well, let me tell you, I believe I'd do four things if I was the devil. First of all, I would convince people that I don't even exist. I would convince people that it's just a figment of their imagination. And by the way, that's working because 50% of Americans believe there is no devil. But I want you to know something, folks. There is a devil. And I want you to know something. You're in a war right now. You're in a war right now. And see, when we think about a, a battle, we... We think about flesh and blood, but it kind of reminds me of the story. It reminds me of the story that the guy was drinking. He was drinking heavy, and he got on a one-way street, <laughs> and he was going the wrong way. And the police officer pulled him over, and he said, Sir, didn't you see the arrows? <laughs> he said, Officer, I didn't even see the Indians. And here's where we're at. There's a battle going on, and most people don't even see it. And let me explain to you why we don't see it. Because Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a battle. There's a war. There's a combat that's taking place. Folks, you can go to colleges today and even Bible colleges. Liberal theologians will tell you the devil does not even exist. But I love what Dr. W.T. Connors said. He said, I didn't have a Bible. If, if I didn't have a Bible to teach me about the existence of a personal devil, I'd still believe it because with all the little devils running around, there's got to be a daddy somewhere. <laughs> there was a prize fighter. He had, a, he had fought about seven rounds, and I mean, he was just getting beat up bad. But every time he would come to his corner, his manager would say to him, Champ, you're doing great. Champ, you're doing great. He hadn't laid a glove on you, Champ. You're doing wonderful. Well, this guy's eyes were shut. His nose was bleeding. His lips were ripped. And his manager was saying, you're doing great. He hadn't laid a glove on you. 
after about seven rounds, that old boxer said to his manager, if he hadn't laid a glove on me, somebody needs to keep an eye on that referee because somebody's beating my eyes out. <laughs> See, folks, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to know something. You have an enemy, and your enemy is the devil. But I'll tell you something. If I was the devil, I'd just convince people that I didn't exist. Let me tell you something else. If I was the devil, I would make sin very attractive. I really would. If, if, if I was the devil, I would make sin so, so attractive. I would make sin so pleasurable if I was the devil. There was a family that were down on the beach, and it was a father, and it was a, his wife and little boy. And they were down there on the beach one day, and there was this lady came by, and she had a bathing suit on. Not enough clothes to make a squirrel a bathing suit, but she had a bathing suit on. And when she walked by, that man looked. And when he looked, his wife caught his eye. His wife caught his eye. And by the way, they always will. Amen? His wife caught his eye. And when he saw she caught his eye, he said this. He said, that's disgusting. She said, if it's disgusting, why did you look? That little boy said, Mama, I think Daddy likes to be disgusted. <laughs> See, folks, we imagine the devil with horns, and we imagine the devil with a scroll on his face. But look what the Bible says. It says he's transformed into an angel of light. An angel of light. Do you know if you study, hey, hey, folks, study Ezekiel chapter 28. When Lucifer was created, folks, he had pipes and organs in his body. He had 12 manners of beautiful stones that reflected the glory of God in his body. He was the most beautiful part of God's creation. He was the worship leader. Let me tell you what. He does. He makes sin attractive. What he does, he makes sin thrilling, and then he makes it killing. Uh, he makes it fascinate, and then he makes it assassinate. Let me tell you what, folks. If I was the devil, I'd convince people I don't even exist. If I was the devil, I'd make sin attractive. But let me tell you the third thing. If I was the devil, I'd work nonstop. I'd work nonstop. This verse is powerful, folks. Look what the Bible says. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants. Of the earth, that's us, by the way, and of the sea. For the devil is come down, he was cast out of heaven, to you, having great wrath. Now, wait, he's cast out, but the Bible says, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. 
The devil knows. Somebody said, Pastor Benny, it seems like it's getting worse and worse. No, it, it's not seeming like it's getting worse and worse. It is getting worse and worse. Yes, uh, evil men seducers, the Bible says, at the end time will wax worse and worse. And why it's getting worse and worse is because the devil realizes he has but a short time. He has but a short time. And he's working tirelessly. He's working nonstop because he has but a short time. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser. Now, let me, let me give you four areas that the devil wants to attack and destroy in your life. There's four relationships that he wants to undo. First of all, folks, he wants to undo your relationship with God. Now, see, we, we miss it. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, but I think we miss something there. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means he goes into the presence of God and he says, look down there at what so-and-so's doing. Look what so-and-so's doing. Look what he's doing. But you know what the Bible says? I really believe this. The Bible teaches us that God says, that's my child. And the Bible literally says this. The Bible says God just gave him the finger. Just flicked him off. Amen? Just flicked him off. Said, no, 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 no. That's my child. Get out of here. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I don't, boy, if we'd be more like God, folks, and not listen to the trash, we'd be better off. Amen? I, I, I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that garbage. My, my ear's not a trash can. But let me tell you something, folks. He's not only the accuser of you to God, he's the accuser of God to you. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me explain. Let me explain what I mean by that. The devil will say, if God's so good, why are you alone? If God's so good, why did your children turn out the way they did? If God's so good, why were you diagnosed with cancer? If God's so good, why did your wife walk out? If God's so good, why can't you pay your bills? If God's so good, why did you have to file bankruptcy? If God's so good, why are you having the emotional problems that you're having? See, he's the accuser, and he wants to accuse you to God, but he wants to accuse God to you. But let me tell you something, folks. You don't base anything on how you feel. You base everything on what God's Word says. And God's Word says he is for you and not against you. And God's Word says he loves you unconditionally. And God's Word says he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And God's Word says that he's for you. And God's Word says that he's working all things for your good and for his glory. You stick with God's Word. See, listen. He wants to affect your relationship with God. But I want you to know something else, folks. He wants to affect your marriage. He wants to affect your relationship with your mate. I read a book years ago that impacted me. It was called Fresh Faith. It was by a man by the name of Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala, he's married to a lady named Carol Cimbala. She leads the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He wrote the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which was the book of the year in Christendom. He's preached here. This is what he said in the book Fresh Faith. He said, Carol and I have worked together all these years, but the devil is constantly trying to destroy our marriage. 
Now, folks, I'm not one of those happy, clappy preachers. I'm just not that guy. Somebody said in the sweet by and by, I know it, but we're living in the nasty now and now. <laughs> Our leader's first job is to define reality. You've got to define reality, folks. You can't live in a fog. You've got to understand something. It matters not if you've been married a year, if you've been married 45 years, the devil wants your home. The devil wants your marriage. The devil wants your children. We have an enemy, folks. We have an enemy. God puts you together. You say, but you don't understand, Pastor. We have such a wonderful marriage. We have a marriage that's made in heaven. So is thunder and lightning. <laughs> There's a verse in the Bible. Look what it says in Ephesians 4 and 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What does that mean? This is what it means, paraphrasing husband and wife. It means don't let something get between you and your mate. Don't let something fester. Don't let it long. Don't let it go a day. Don't let it go two days. Some of you have let it go five years. You're still talking about an issue five years ago. God said don't do that. And then he tells us why. Neither give place to the devil. That word place is a geographical location. It means the devil will take ground in your heart. The devil will take ground in your marriage. That's why you deal with it quickly. You deal with it quickly. You deal with it quickly. I've said in a joking way that Barbara and I have never gone to bed upset at each other. Now, we've stayed up for two or three days at a time, but we've never gone to bed upset at each other. But my point is you deal with it, folks. You deal with it because the devil wants to affect your relationship with God. He wants to affect your relationship with your mate. But let me tell you, he wants to affect your relationship with your church. He wants to affect your relationship with your church. See, I want you to understand something. Matthew 18 and 20 says where two or three are gathered. Where two or three are gathered. I want you to understand something. Corporate worship is powerful. Corporate worship is powerful. You know when the wolf attacks the sheep? When the sheep's all alone. When it's isolated. And what the devil wants to do, he wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate you. And folks, I realize many of you are watching me, and I thank God for you watching if you're streaming. But I want you to know something. If you're physically able, take your pajamas off, put some clothes on, and get to God's house on Sunday morning. Lay the honey bun down, put you some slacks on, get to God's house on Sunday morning because that's the will of God. The devil, let me just say this, folks. I, I want to be just as transparent as I can be right here. A.W. Tozer said, I need now to give a warning. That warning is simply that a spirit-filled church is the target of the enemy. He knows the potential of a spirit-filled church and that the focus of such a church is the exaltation of Jesus, which the devil hates with a passion. Get this down, folks. You read the first five chapters of the book of Acts. 
In Acts 2 and 1, they were in one accord in one place. They had unity. They were in one accord in one place. In Acts 2, 41, 3,000 were saved. In Acts 2, 47, the Lord added to the church daily. In Acts chapter 3, a lame man was healed. In Acts 4 and 4, 5,000 was added to the church. In Acts 5 and 12, they were experiencing signs and wonders. In Acts 5 and 16, healing was taking place. Then we get to Acts 6 and 1. And the Greek widows say, we are being neglected when they're giving out the food. Let me tell you something. If the devil can't deal with something from the outside, he tries to get inside. And I want you to understand something. The devil wants to affect your relationship with church. The devil wants to affect your relationship with church. The devil will say that that kind of music is not the kind of music you like. I didn't think it was about the music anyway. I thought it was about worshiping Jesus. Uh, uh, Brother Benny, uh, 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 Brother Benny, you know, I, I just don't enjoy it as much anymore. He, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't wear a necktie like he used to. <laughs> Honey, get your mind off of what's around the neck. Get your mind off what's coming out of the neck. <laughs> say, well, by the way, while I'm just on that point, let me just give you a little motivation. When they came to arrest Jesus... Judas said, let me tell you who he is. So you'll know who he is? I'm going to kiss him. Why did he kiss him? Because he looked just like everybody else. He looked just like everybody else. Folks, we're here to worship Jesus. Listen, listen. Hey, I, by the way, I'm just dealing with that while I'm on it. The only thing the Bible says about dress is you need to be modest. You don't need to be in here showing your backside. You don't need to be in here showing your breast. You don't need to be in here showing so much legs. You need to be modest. That's all the Bible teaches. <laughs> wear what you want to wear as long as you're modest. Amen. Goodness gracious. Somebody said to me, Pastor Benny, can you, can you get the little boys to quit wearing their hats to church? <laughs> oh, God. Talk about straining on a gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> I said, honey, I'm trying to get them to wear two hats. Two hats? Yeah. That way if their pants fall down, they can cover both sides. Folks, your mind, that mind's on the wrong. But to see the devil, I got to get back on the devil. The devil wants to get that stuff in your mind. He wants to mess your relationship up with church. What you need to make sure, folks, is that man in the pulpit is preaching the Word of God. If he's preaching the Word of God, that's all matters. The moment he quits doing that, you cut out. See, the devil wants to hurt your relationship. And I'm, I'm done. Oh, no, I'm not. No, no, no. The, the devil wants to hurt your relationship with God, with your marriage, with your church. But let me say this. 
He wants to hurt your relationship with authority. Let me explain. Every person needs authority in their lives. But the devil wants to damage that relationship with whatever the authority is in your life. See, when I went to school, when I went to school, I used to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I constantly. I, I, I mean, I just have been a rule, rule breaker from day one, but I got in trouble. And when I went to school, let me tell you this. Phyllis Luss would say to me, Benny, grab your toes. Yeah, because when I grabbed my toes, Miss Phyllis Luss was taking that paddle and tanning my backside. Don't clap over that. <laughs> but look, this was my prayer. This was my prayer after she did it. God, don't let Miss Phyllis call Mama. Don't let Miss Phyllis call Mama. Please don't let Miss Phyllis call. Because guess what? If she called Mama when I got home, it mattered not what I said. Mama totally believed Phyllis Lusk. And what that meant is I got another spanking. But I didn't realize it. We weren't Christians. But Mama was teaching me respect for authority. Whoever, by the way, parents, that's what you need to teach your children. You say, well, but my, Johnny said this happened at school. Johnny will lie. You run down school every time they have to get on Johnny. You need to meet Phyllis Lush yourself. <laughs> if I were the devil, I'd convince people they had plenty of time. That's the last thing. I'd tell people you've got plenty of time. Plenty of time. But you know, reality is we never know, folks, how much time we've got. Jesus said these words in John 4, 35. He said, Say not ye there are yet four months, then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. You never know. But let me tell you what the devil will say. You'll say, I, I'm, I'm thinking about joining the church. And by the way, that's biblical. Now, I want you to understand something. Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, none of that is biblical. That's all man-made stuff. You say, but you're the president of a denomination. I am. But it's not biblical. What is biblical is the local church. The local church is biblical. And everybody ought to be a part of a local Bible-believing church. And you ought to be serving in that church. You ought to be a part of it. You need to be under the umbrella. You need to be under the spiritual leadership of a pastor. But you say, I'm going to join the church. This is what the devil say. You ought to wait. Well, I thought I'd get baptized on August the 4th. The devil say, you ought to wait. You ought to wait. Say, so, well, I, I thought about starting serving. The devil say, you ought to wait. Let me, let me tell you something you don't know. My sister got saved, and I would go to church. I'd sit in the back. My sister would invite me. The preacher would preach. He'd give the invitation, and I'd just stand there and hold the pew. 
there was one occasion my sister looked over at me and she said Benny I'll go down with you and I said to her you need to mind your own business the devil wait 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 what do you say to you wait 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 Folks, you never know when it's going to end. I preached a young man's funeral yesterday, 37. 37. As a kid preacher, I close with this story. As a kid preacher, high energy, low IQ. Ran around, knocked on doors, and invited people to church. I went around to a house, knocked on the door. Guy came to the door, big old burly guy. I said, Jerry, I'd like to invite you. I'm pastor of the church. He said, little preacher, I'm going to get around to it one of these days. But he said, I'm living large, making a lot of money, <laughs> living it up, preacher. But little preacher, one of these days, I'll get up there. <laughs> if I walked in now, the walls would collapse. Roof would probably fall in. But I, I'm on one of these days, preacher. And then he'd hug me and he'd say, you, you, you can go on now. I said, Jerry, I really wish you'd come. I really wish you would, Jerry. You've been on my heart. He'd say, oh, yeah, you're sweet. But I'm going to get around to it, preacher, but not right now. I kept going knocking on Jerry's door. Finally, one night, I got a phone call. They said, Jerry got on his motorcycle, preacher. He lapped a curve out by Myers Hill Church. Had alcohol in his system. Lost control of the motorcycle. It's in bad shape. They need you to come to the University of the South, Swanee Hospital. Can you come as fast as you can? I got in a little Dodge pickup truck. Started heading to that hospital. I got there and there was people all over that little campus. Somebody said, that's a preacher. That's him right there. That's a preacher. Somebody said, let him get to Jerry. Let him get to Jerry. Let him get to Jerry. I made my way through the hospital. And I could hear Jerry's voice. I could hear Jerry cussing the doctors and nurses that were trying to save his life. Before I could get to Jerry, the last breath of life left Jerry. His mother looked at me and said, Pastor Benny, I want you to preach my boy's funeral. I said, I sure do my best. As a kid, I sure do my best. We had Jerry's funeral. I preached his funeral. A custom in that area is they would bring the body down and then they would have one final viewing. Jerry's body was here and I stood here. Everybody came around and then the last one was that mother. That mother reached down into that casket. She pulled that boy up to him. She kissed him. She said, I love you. I'm watching every bit of this. I love you. And then she placed him down. And folks, I'm 54. But if I live to be 104, I'll never forget her looking into my face. And she said, Preacher Benny, my baby's in hell. Preacher Benny, my baby's in hell. Let me tell you something, folks. This whole deal, people can laugh at me. That's okay. 
But one day I'm going to stand before God. And I want to be able to say, God, I told him the truth. I told him the truth. And I tell you the truth today. Eternity's too long to be wrong. And the devil will tell you, you've got plenty of time. And you may not have 10 minutes. We never know if I were the devil. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I've often said, it's as simple as ABC. A stands for acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. B stands for believe. You've got to believe that Christ and His blood was shed on the cross for your sin. And then C, you simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin, and I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know, this decision is not based on how you feel right now. Because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make, and thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.